Hi, welcome to Making Sense of Movies. I'm Claire. I'm Elena. And today we are talking about movies um, all about friendship. Yeah. And our first uh, movie that we're going to talk about is Stand By Me, uh, based on the Stephen King um, novella. Um, and this is by Rob Reiner. Um, and Elena, was this your, this was your first time watching this movie? It was. I've never seen this movie before. So I know it's like a classic and I'm, I'm kind of happy I got to see it. There are some really great moments in this movie I'm really excited to talk about. Um, first of all, I didn't know Stephen King until they talk about that they're in like Castle Rock and I'm like, this is Stephen King. Yeah, like, the, no the town they're in, this. I think it's even in Maine as well. But it just, like, it looks like a Stephen King, like, creepy offbeat. Well, it's not, it's a little creepy. Offbeat kind of town. Yeah, it seems more run down, but they actually say it's in Oregon. Oh. Mm. Like, and one of the scenes that talk about the Portland radio. So, oh, gotcha. Um, if you've never seen this movie, I honestly, like, the only reason I knew what this was about, because I used to watch Family Guy, and Family Guy did a joke on it once. Um, and that's how I can kind of get the gist. But essentially, so... It starts out in like 1985 with this guy and he is kind of remembering this like really like pivotal moment when he was 13 with his like three other friends when they go travel to go see a dead body and this was in 1959. So it's definitely like a different time period. Um, And that's essentially it. You just kind of see these like four boys kind of going through their own emotions and their own troubles and just trying to find this dead body so they can, like, see a dead body. Yeah, uh, the whole reason they're going on the trip in the first place is um, the one character, uh, it was, uh, there's four boys in it. It's Gordy, who's, like you said, our main character, uh, Chris, who's the leader of the group, and then Teddy and Vern. Um, and mm-hmm. Vern overhears that um, a group of um, older boys had found the dead body of Ray Bra- uh browser who was in their grade uh down by the train tracks really far down and those four boys their motivation is they want to become famous and get in the the newspaper so that's why they're going on this trip and really uh there's not a lot of things that happen on the trip um event wise it's more just them talking about uh their pasts and their family life they're all kind of outcasts in their own way, which is why they all rely on each other during this time so much. Um, yeah. Gordy, uh, he's always wanted to be a writer, but he's always been in the shadow of his older brother, who we learned has died in a car accident. And uh, you get the feeling towards the beginning of the movie that Gordy and especially his parents are grieving um, and his parents are ignoring Gordy. And at first I was thinking, oh, it's because uh, the brother had just died. That's why they're ignoring Gordy. But it turns out that even when the brother was still alive, they were acting the same way towards Gordy, which was just really, really heartbreaking to watch. Yeah, but also, like, his older brother was, like, they were super close. Like, you see kind of flashbacks throughout their relationship. Like, his older brother really supported him and tried Mm -hmm. to get his parents to, like, see, like, how good of a writer he was. And his parents just... It's not something that they thought, like, anyone could be. Mm-hmm. They're, like, more the traditional route of, like, oh, like, you're going to play football and you're going to get a scholarship to college. And that's what their their oldest son was able to do. And then their younger son obviously doesn't do that. So it's a little, it's a little sad. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also see Teddy, who's also is a very – a lot of these boys have 
pretty sad backstories or family lives. Um, so Teddy, he lives with his father, who says he was on, he's like, oh, from World War II, he's a veteran from World War II, and he said he was on the, you know, the beaches of Dunkirk. And you also know from Gordy's, like, POV, when he's kind of talking about this um, in the future, that his father abused him and, like, burnt his ear. And you mm -hmm. see in the movie, he has, like, a scarred ear. Um, and then you learn later on from another adult, who also is pretty mean to the children, um, that everyone thinks his dad is crazy and, you know, goes to, like, men mental institutions and kind of, um, and Teddy can't accept this about himself or about his father. Um, that was really sad. And then, Yeah, and we even see Teddy, like, trying to defend his father after, yeah. like, they were saying all or that man who they met in the junkyard, because mm -hmm. um, they were all just having lunch, taking a break, and this man sent his dog after them, and they all thought the dog was going to be some huge evil thing, and it was really just like a regular dog, but anyway. Um, yeah, and yeah, then so you have mm -hmm. Chris, who is, you don't know a lot about his family, but his family is considered just kind of like low lives. Like, no one thinks he's going to amount to anything, and he himself doesn't believe that. And there's, like, a really great moment where he talks to Gordy, and he's like, you've, you've been given this chance. Like, people believe in you. Like, no one believes in me. Oh, yes. I'm, uh, I'm I have that written. Mm -hmm. I have yes. that written down as the goodwill hunting moment, because it was essentially the same conversation. It is. <laughs> <laughs> where Chris is telling Gordy, if you stay in this town, it will have been a mistake, and you'll have been wasting your writing ability, and Gordy's like, but I want to stay in town. It was literally the same conversation. Yeah, Gordy's like, I want to stay with my friends, just like Will, like, Will is to his. He's like, I want to stay with you. His friend's like, no. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Um, mm -hmm. But you realize, in the beginning of the movie, you see this guy who you end up being Gordy. He's reading a newspaper about this guy who, a lawyer who was um, stabbed at a fast food restaurant, and his name is Chris, and then you meet Chris, and it's, like, a little sad, you know, he's, he's gonna be dead, and in, in the movie, even, like, he says that about himself, mm -hmm. and they say that about Teddy, too, they're, like, oh, yeah, like, Teddy's gonna be dead in 20 years, and I was, like, they're so, like, easygoing with this, yeah, like, like they all, they all, like, listen to what people tell them, like, they're all, like, okay, you're gonna be worthless, and they kind of listen to that, because that's all they've been told, which is kind of sad, um, and then we have Vern, we don't, family life, we don't know that much about. He lives with his he's parents. He's picked on, though. Yeah, he's picked I, on. He's yeah. he's considered, like, the fat, fat kid. Um, he's made fun of because of that. And he's also kind of, like, he's a bit, I think he's a bit more afraid than the other boys. Like, they're a bit more fearless than he is. He's, he has a bit more caution. He's, like, made fun of because mm -hmm. of that. Um, but while they're, they're literally, like, walking on train tracks to go see this dead body. While this is happening, Vern's brother is in like this punk ass gang like can't believe it um where this this terrible human being ace it's just they're just like terrorizing town and then they're also going to go find the body too at some point mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a race to see who's gonna find the body first um which is like also sad one thing i, I did like that they talked about in this movie was they're like this is someone who's our age who's died and obviously, like, the younger boys have more respect. Like, they they understand what they're doing, but they're also like, oh, we want to be famous. And they also have this kind of, like, thing in the back of their head, like, oh, we're about to see someone who's our age who's dead, who's no longer with us. 
Yeah, and I like the way they handled that personally through uh, the first, I'd say the first half, they weren't even really mentioning it that much, but yeah. like as they got closer and closer to seeing the body, uh, it just sort of hit them more, and especially Gordy, who um, he was yeah. at one point says he was obsessed with the idea of seeing the body. And the first time I watched this movie, I was even wondering if they were going to show us, the audience, the body. Yeah. And I kind of wonder what kind of movie that would be if we just saw Gordy, Chris, Teddy, and Vern's reactions to the body and not the body yes. itself. Um, but I still think when they actually did go to see the body, it was uh, a scene that was played out well, uh, especially because Gordy, um, well, Chris is comforting Gordy because he is crying over um, the body, but really he's crying because he didn't cry at his brother's funeral, which he always yeah. felt guilt over. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, this movie, like, lets young boys cry and, like, show their emotions. I think, um, so how the movie kind of goes through is that they're going on the train tracks, and they have, like, little stops along the way, essentially. Mm-hmm. So one of their first stops is they go to this uh, junkyard to get, so they can, like, get food, because no one was smart enough to bring food <laughs> with them. When this is, like, like how, they're, they're, like, walking like tens of miles like it takes them like almost like a day and a half to get there um so when gordy is the one who has to end up going to buy food and when he comes back there's a whole thing they talk about through the whole that whole section where like oh there's this dog chopper and he's gonna come and he's gonna bite your balls um and you think it's gonna be this like really um scary dog and it's the cutest golden retriever like yeah so cute um and that's when you realize and the guy who's who's the owner of the dog owner of the junkyard he's kind of like he recognizes the boys he's like get out of my junkyard and he recognizes them and he kind of starts to really insult um teddy and his father and he's like um like really quite mean for how like the age difference like he's a grown-ass man these are 13 year old boys like you shouldn't be that mean and he's like your father's crazy and you're gonna be crazy and you're gonna like amount to nothing and Teddy says one of the greatest lines of the entire movie which had me and my sister cracking out loud which is I'm gonna rip your head off and shit down your neck (laughs) Teddy I do believe has some of the greatest lines Mm -hmm. he says that and then like immediately after like completely breaks down because he can't handle kind of these criticisms about his father Mm mm-hmm yeah, and um, then uh, the next major scene we have, which to me is always, like, the most exciting scene, is the bridge they have to cross over the water. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And uh, it starts out with um, Chris and Teddy walking across, and, no, is it, yeah, um, it's Chris and, no, Chris and Vern who are walking across, um, and then Gordy is uh, way behind with Shoot, no, I'm getting these all confused. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, Vern and Teddy are, are at the way back, and Vern's having a really hard time, like, getting across the train tracks. And all of a sudden, you see the train coming. And this oh train, God. and we've already established how huge and fast these trains are because we had a scene in the very beginning where Teddy is standing in front of the train track for no reason because he wants to jump at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've already seen how big these trains are compared to these boys. And this train is just coming nonstop at them over this bridge. And that's always my favorite scene, just because I feel like the way it's shot is so well done. 
And yeah. like, even though I know it's coming, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this train is just going to come out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, poor Vern. Mm-hmm. He was like crawling on those train tracks and I was like, you're, you can't do that. And Gordy's <laughs> like, get off. Like, you're going to die. Stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, like, I do like this movie where like, it deals with very like serious topics, but it's actually quite funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially there's the scene that I always think is so funny is they're doing this montage all around the fire where they're just all yes. talking with each other. Um, and they say, question. they're just asking random questions like, if I could only have one food for the rest of my life, that's easy. Pez. Cherry flavored Pez. No question about it. And also oh, they fun talk- fact mm-hmm. um, about that, my sister told me. So that, that like, was a very big deal for Pez. Because apparently, mm-hmm. like, it really increased their sales. So, you know, the oh. power of movies. Whoa. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, she, that's asked, like, she asked me to add that in there. So. I, I'm here for any movie and candy related fun facts. So thank you for that. Um, and then the other main thing they're talking about, which I thought was so funny, is so much conversation about what Goofy is. The character Goofy. I agree. That was so funny. Because they're mm-hmm. so, like, genuinely serious. Yeah. They're like, okay, if Mickey is a mouse... Donald is a duck. Pluto is a dog. What does that make Goofy? He's not a dog because he drives. Like, yeah, I love that because also, like, in the narration, he talks about, like, like, oh, we talked about anything but the fact that we're about to see a dead body. Yeah. Like, this is what we're looking forward to. Mm -hmm. So I I like that, too. Um, the The one thing also is, like, you kind of see, like, the difference between, like, these young, like, pretty innocent boys. Like, they have, some of them have, like, obviously, like, not great home lives, and they deal with it in different ways, but then you also see, like, the older boys, like, Ace, and I think they're called the Cobra Gang. Like, they're carving the word Cobra into their arms. I'm oh, just, yeah, like, that was gross. <laughs> like, literally, like, I, I'm genuinely concerned for this gang. Like, how did Ace become... Like, when did he become the leader of this gang? Why does he have, like, this hold over all these guys? And he's, like, literally, like, the worst piece of shit. You see him in the beginning of the movie, Gordy. He, he is with Chris. Like, they're going off to meet Vern and Teddy to go on their, their adventure. And mm-hmm. he's, like, wearing his older brother's hat, like, really special to him. And then Ace takes it. And I'm like, you're, this is, like, this is his brother's hat. Like, why do you need this? Like, you're just causing pain. Just, like, really your classic uh, Stephen King bullies. They're always, yeah. like, level 10 of being just, like, the worst humanly person you could. Yeah. I did think, um, I didn't think we were gonna find Ray Broward. That was, like, one of, when mm. I was watching it, I was, like, oh, I, it would be interesting if they kind of go on this whole adventure, they don't actually see what they were looking for. So when they do see it, I think for me that made, like, the impact much more, like, significant. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, so first, like, they realize it was at this specific road, so they're all looking, and then all of a sudden, they're, like, oh, if we found him, and you see, like, his shoes, and they show you his whole body, and it was pretty, pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. All um, right. Uh, do you have any other uh, closing thoughts on Stand By Me? Um, I really, obviously, like, I really loved the, like, wide shots of them walking against nature. I don't know where, the, where they actually filmed, but there's, like, these huge mountains, and, um, like, these really great landscapes, and I did like also that we had, like, this emotional journey, like, it was, like, this wasn't about, like, a superhero or anything like that, it was just, like, these 13-year-old boys having this emotional journey, 
and like because of this he talked about like what happened to each boy so like chris in the movie they talk chris is like oh um like i'm just going to go to like shop school or whatever like i'm not going to go take the college classes like you and, and gordy's like why can't you like you're smart just like me and he kind of convinces him to do it and you realize later in life that he becomes a he leaves Castle Rock, which he thought he would never do. He becomes a lawyer. And sadly, he dies, but he was always, like, this really great friend. Mm-hmm. And then it also kind of talks about, like, the different types of friendship you, you have. Like, you can tell throughout the movie, like, Gordy and Chris have very serious conversations. Like, they talk about his dead brother. They talk about, like, what's happening, like, the future of their lives. And then with Vern and Teddy, it's not quite as serious between, like, the four of them. And they talk about how, like, Vern and Teddy, like, they weren't really friends after this, like, they kind of just go in and out of their lives, um, but, like, he talks about how, like, these were, like, the best friends of this moment, which I thought was, like, really well done, and I definitely, like, believe that. Yeah, and that's what Gordy ends up, uh, when he writes his novel, he writes, um, you'll never have friends, like, as good as you did when you were 12, or something yeah. to that. Yes. That's true. Um, it, this movie lets boys be emotional and cry, and, like, it's good. That's what they should do. Yeah, I agree with that. These, all these boys deserve a good cry. Oh, yeah, 100 I agree with that. They, they all have something to really cry about. Um, yes, so the next movie that we're going to talk about is Thelma and Louise, directed by Ridley Scott, which yeah. I didn't know Ridley Scott directed this movie, which was crazy to me, because I always knew him as just, like, you know, the guy who directed Alien, and he did, uh, he does a lot of other movies, but, uh, I was very shocked when I saw that, and I think he did a really good job with it. Um, this is, mm -hmm. this movie Um, was a lot different than I thought it, uh, it was going to be. It was a lot more serious, and a lot more serious themes that it dealt with. Yeah, I think that too, um, it was written by Callie Quarry. Um, she actually won an Oscar for writing the script. Which I think was well deserved. Because I think if you like, and I watched the trailer before watching this, if you watch the mm-hmm. trailer, you think it's going to be like this fun, like buddy comedy road trip, kind of, you know, like other movies before. But I think mm-hmm. like it really deals with a lot of serious themes, but in a really like well thought out way. Like for me, like in this movie, it's really about how basically all the men in Thelma Louise's life fail them and how like there are these women who are trapped in. The, the lives that they have to live, not the ones that they want to live. Like, there's so much more than what people are, like, assuming them to be or what they're given. Right. They're essentially, like, within their own lives, side characters to the men in their life, like um, Thelma, who is married to this, like, horrible car salesman named Daryl. Who Daryl. Daryl. Is name, like, Daryl? He sounds <laughs> terrible as he sounds. Yeah, um, and through this trip, um, Thelma and Louise become, like, really their own main characters of their yeah. own story. Um, and they are best friends when we, when we meet them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do, they also have a bit of a love story to them. I think they do. You watch the end of the movie, they really do, like, not only are they best friends, but I think they do very much love each other. Oh, um, yeah. That, that can, see, can be seen as, like, a romantic way, which I think I definitely did by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because of what they decide to do and everything like that. Um, but yeah, so we start out basically where it's like you think it, you think it's gonna be all fun and games. Thelma and Louise are like, you know packing to go to um, 
basically I think they're going to like the mountains yeah. to go fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of see like they kind of like um, superimpose like each girl packing and one's messy, one's you know cleaner. Um, Thelma brings a gun with her. <laughs> that was a gun that she doesn't know how to shoot, might I add. Um, yeah, and then she just gives it to Louise and was like, I don't know how to use this. Take this from me. Take it. And she, Louise is like, why, why do we need a gun? And Thelma's like, you never know. And truly, in this movie, was a great choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you kind of also see kind of how trapped Thelma is in her life. Like, Der- like she's basically a housewife, but she doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't even tell her husband that she's going on this trip because she knew he would say no. And Louise doesn't like Daryl because she's yeah. smart like the rest of us and knows no one likes Daryl. Yeah, she uh, was. She told us what he was about. As soon as she was like, why aren't you telling Daryl? Right. So these two, they start their trip and the first place they stop is just to get a quick bite to eat. And it ends up being this like really... Um, like everyone's dancing and having a good time and a man comes up to Thelma and they hit it off at first and are dancing um, and Thelma's had a lot to drink uh, because this is the first time she's been like out in a while and this man takes her into the parking lot and starts taking advantage of her and is trying to rape her which is when um, Louise comes out with the gun in her hand that she had gotten earlier and gets him off of Thelma um and he calls Louise a bitch something to that extent and then Louise turns around and shoots him and that's really yeah. when uh things really start in, escalate. Like, yeah escalated really really quickly because at this point I was like I thought this is just gonna be a fun like oh we're going to the mountains what are we gonna do there and I was yeah. like oh my god I was not expecting this at all and it was a really a pr- pretty graphic scene to watch. Yeah, it's pretty graphic. Also, the guy who, who's trying to rape her, he keeps saying, I'm not going to hurt you. Which yeah. is ironic, because he is hurting her. Mm-hmm. Um, and what kind of escalates the situation is that Selma and Louise know that no one will believe them. Like, mm-hmm. like Louise tells Selma, people saw you dancing with him. Why would they think that you would that he would rape you like why why would mm-hmm. they think that like no like you're not going to believe which is unfortunately like something that like a lot of women blame themselves and something that's still very like resonates today. today yeah um so like that's why it escalates because Thelma she's like I want to go to the police Louise is like what do you mean like they're gonna charge us for murder like mm-hmm. they're, they're not gonna see this as self-defense um which is essentially in some some ways what it was and so Louise is the one who kind of has to take control first it obviously like Thelma is like you know understanding what happens to her and she's also kind of understanding that she can't go back um and mm-hmm. so their big plan now is to go to Mexico that that's but their not big plan through Texas yes and they but they can't go through Texas <laughs> we're not because so, something happened to Luis in Texas you're not really sure I don't think you're really told what happens They're, they kind of hint at it a little bit um, but yeah, so they go to, they're driving through, I think they start in Ar- Arkansas, that's where they are, and then they're driving from Arkansas to Mexico, and there's, like, she calls, Thelma calls Daryl, Daryl's, like, not even listening to her, um, 
And so Daryl was like, you should come back. And he was like, no. And she, Salma was like, no, I'm not coming back. Like, I'm going to go. Like, I'm on this trip. And I love when she's like, Daryl, go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> that was great. Um, so on this trip, they're kind of traveling, figuring out what to do. And this is where you also see, like, Louise's relationship with Jimmy. Yeah, and he's like the on-again, off-again um, boyfriend who, I think he's a, a musician. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So at one point, uh, Luis calls him and is like, I can't tell you what's going on, but you need to uh, get money out of the account and like send it here so I can go pick it up. But I can't tell you what's going on on, going yeah. on at all. And when Luis goes to pick up the money, Jimmy's actually there and is kind of like, what's going on? Um, and yeah. at that point, we have, uh, well, two things going on. We have Jimmy and Luis together in a hotel and then we have Thelma and Brad Pitt's character who we had met earlier who they picked up mm-hmm. he's a college student who's trying to get to Oklahoma City is what study. he claims yes is what he but claims he's his he, name is JD that's what uh, his character's name is mm-hmm. he's yeah, very okay. cute in this movie he is very cute and um, obviously very yeah. purposely because um Thelma is very much attracted to him Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so once they get to Oklahoma City, Jimmy is kind of like, what's going on? Like, why are you asking for your life savings? And Lisa's like, I can't tell you. Um, but so they have the money. That's the most important part. This is how they're going to get to Mexico. And during this point when they're traveling, the police are obviously called to the guy's death in Arkansas. And they're like, okay, um, like, who killed him? And the one thing I kind of did like was that the waitress was like, oh, those two women wouldn't have done it. Like, <laughs> that, like that woman, she left me a really big tip. She's talking about Louise. And, mm-hmm. you know, Harlem was an asshole. It could have been someone else's, you know, husband that, like, um, of a woman he slept with who killed him. Like, he was he was asking for it, basically. Like, like someone would have killed him now. Like, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, they're kind of doing it as um like okay we're looking for two witnesses that was their like initial and then obviously it starts to change as more and more happens um yeah and uh the police do end up contacting daryl who throws them under the bus and daryl's like (laughs) has the phone tap now and to me the funniest scene was when uh louise is telling thelma like okay call daryl and see if He's acting weird if the police are there. So uh, Thelma calls him and he's like, hey. And then Thelma just puts it on the phone and she's like, yep, yep, they're, they're there. And literally she knows this because he's happy to hear her. To hear her, which is just like sad. hilarious, but also like, it's like, oh, like that's what their marriage was about. Yeah. Um, so while they're in Oklahoma City, um, Thelma and JD get it on. JD reveals to Thelma that he's a bank robber. Not a bank robber, he's, he's a robber. And he kind of goes through this great kind of monologue about what he does with like a hairdryer pretending to be his gun. Um, like his whole speech of what he does when he robs. And at this point, I've realized that Thelma is a bit like, she believes the best in people. She's a little mm-hmm. bit gullible because like, if that was me, as soon as I heard, oh, I robbed 
places for money, I would have either put away the money that was on the yeah. bedside, which you see in the, so the entire time they're talking, that's framed in the corner, mm-hmm. like the money. Um, and I was just like, oh, as soon as he said that, I was like, Ooh, oh no, yeah. J- JD's going to screw screw them over. Mm-hmm. I know. And he I does. really wish Louise had kept the money with her because yes, I know. Uh, he ends up stealing the money, which was so upsetting to watch me. And it's one of those things where you kind of knew from the beginning that or that like. Thelma shouldn't be the one with the money, because even when they're in the car, she's like, oh, we've got $60, and then it, like, flies out of her hand. She's like, we have $40 now. Um, Mm -hmm. I did, I did think, like, obviously, like, JD compared to the other men in the movie was, like, a good foil to, like, Daryl, where, like, Mm -hmm. Daryl doesn't, obviously, like, he doesn't trust Thelma, he doesn't, like, obviously, there's, like, something off with their marriage, like, he doesn't, he doesn't even, like, seem to like her that much. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's obviously, like, chemistry between, like, JD and Thelma, and he, like, he listens to her, and he obviously is, like, attracted to her, and he's, like, so different. And if anything, they have good sex. Like, that, yeah. that, the, the next day when she comes in the morning after, and she's like, oh, so that's what it feels like. And I was like, I knew Daryl never gave me an orgasm. Not surprised. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, so after they both, so JD and Thelma and then Louise and Jimmy also, they both kind of, you know, get laid, which good for them. They've been in a really stressful situation. Um, Louise is like, oh, where's the money? Like, or no, she's like, she's like, oh, where's JD? And Thelma was like, oh, he's like showering in the, in the motel room. And then Louise is like, where's the, like, with the money? The money's in the room too? Oh, mm-hmm. And that was sad, because then that also, like, derails them even more. It escalates things even more. Um, and yeah, I, think I just felt point, so bad for Luis in that situation. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really surprised, like, that's really telling to how good of a friendship and just, like, relationship yeah. in general that Thelma and Luis had in that moment, because if that were me and I was like, you got all of our money stolen because you didn't watch over it, I would be, I would be more angry personally. I'd be like, oh my yeah. god, how could you do something like that? Yeah. But she was like really never angry at Thelma. That's true. Like she never blamed Thelma. Like there was a mm-hmm. moment after when um, the the man who tries to to rape Thelma, where there's a moment where, she, where like, like Louise is kind of saying like, oh, maybe it was your fault. But then she like immediately takes it back. And it was like, it, this was not your fault at all. Mm-hmm. I do like that too. Like no one blames Selma for what happened. It's just like, they're just like, oh, this stuff like this happened. Like it's not necessarily your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like the role reversal here where instead of like Louise taking care of Selma, it becomes like Selma taking care of Louise. Mm-hmm. Um, where like Louise really shuts down because she's like, she kind of feels really hopeless. She's like, we don't have the money. And Thelma's like, you know what? Like, I'm going to use my wits. So she uses the exact same speech that JD does. And she goes and she robs, like, a little, um... Convenience store. A little convenience store. And I was like, this is great. Like, Thelma's really getting this confidence. And that Um, was such a good editing moment, too, because they switch right from that moment to, like, Daryl, who's now watching it on the TV with the rest of the police. And he's just like, how is this someone I was, like, married to like, yeah exactly. she, this is just such a different woman than i i ever knew and at this point they're like okay so at this point they had like matched the gun that uh, Thelma had 
um, mm-hmm. from Daryl, and they matched it to the bullet wounds. So like, okay, they they're like, okay, they're wanted for murder, and now they're wanted for robbery. Yeah. At this point, they take in JD because they find the money. And one of the things I really liked is that one of like the cops in the movie is kind of like he's not he's not trying to get them to like because he's like oh like I know you killed him like he obviously knows that there's some that there was something off with what happened mm-hmm. and he's he's oh, he's trying to do like them some sort of justice in the way that he can like, he kind of sympathizes with them I feel like um, and he talks to JD and he was like oh like if they if you didn't steal their money would they have brought that convenience store? Mm-hmm. And it's, like, this moment where, like, JD realizes, like, oh, like, my, my actions have consequences. Whoa. If they, crazy like, idea. Oh, <laughs> crazy to think that this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he has a great scene where he, like, looks Daryl straight in the eye and was like, I like your wife. <laughs> it was a power no, move. Yeah. No, that was a great scene. I love that scene. Uh, and, yeah, the other thing I was wondering, because I don't really know that much about, like, the law, I guess. Yeah. Like, at what point could they have stopped and gone in the least amount of trouble? Because to me, it would be when that really nice policeman was on the phone with Luis and was just like, if that, if that were me, that's where I would have been like, okay, I think I'm going to turn myself in. Like the, the Mexico's trip is over. Uh, but I would be interested. I'm sure there's a video out there, um, who's discussed that already yeah no I think I don't know I have like some ways about the policeman because I think in some ways he wants to help them but like at the end so there's this huge car chase at the end and he's trying to talk to them and he calls them girls which is like a very specific word for them. he doesn't call them women he calls them mm-hmm. girls so I kind of feel like in some ways he's trying like he doesn't see them as their own people like he's like mm-hmm. oh I'm trying to protect them so I think mm-hmm. in some ways, like, he was trying to do what was best, but he doesn't necessarily see them as, like, these full individual, like, fully grown women, which yeah. I think, you know, is obviously problematic in its own thing. Um, and I also like the scene where they, like, completely blow up the truck from that gross truck driver. <laughs> so as they're driving, they're trying to get to... Mexico they keep kind of passing this truck driver who has like this like cut out of like a naked woman on his truck and he like is like saying really gross and disgusting things to them um so yeah at one point they're like you know what like we're gonna stop so they stop and he comes out and they just like take him down they were like would you say that to your mom would you say that to your sister like why are you saying that to us Mm -hmm. like why aren't you nicer to women like, that's literally what they're telling him. They're like, this doesn't work, because you're yeah, literally and, disgusting. And he's like, um, okay, you guys are crazy, and kind of blows them off, and then they have the gun with them, and was like, oh, we're, you're not leaving until you get an apology. Uh, yeah, exactly. So he still, like, does not want to apologize to them. So he, uh, they blow out the tires of his huge truck that he was driving. Yeah. And it must have been, like, a gasoline truck or something like that, because mm-hmm. at one point, it hits the truck and the whole thing just explodes in this whole like fire um and there's like a helicopter involved now which is now tracking them down because they've kind of left their mark on the area a little bit yeah um, and they've at this point i think they've crossed like four three states so they're like <laughs> yeah they, and they've been like robbing people at one point they like thelma who i love she's like i've never shot this gun is like the greatest shot 
in the world. Like she's amazing. Um, oh, another I, I, scene I want to point out would be when they get pulled over by the cop, which I yeah. think I forget I, that might be afterward. No, that would be before. That's before I think they yeah. they they blow the up the truck. gasoline truck. Yeah, right. So they get pulled over, and at first they're just like, "Oh, like what can we do for you, officer?" Just trying to keep it cool. Mm -hmm. um, and he asked Luis to get into the car with him. So they're like, oh gosh, like this is, this is over. But then Selma holds him at gunpoint, puts him yeah. in the back of the truck, which leads to one of my favorite moments, which is when the biker comes by, just this guy riding a bike with a huge like radio attached to his arm. And like, here's the, the policeman and like, doesn't really do anything and just like blows smoke into like <laughs> into the cop car because there's a little hole at the top where the cop had been sticking his finger out of yeah i don't know make why. sure just, there were air holes yeah just to make sure it. there were air holes um uh, maybe I also, the, yeah i want to point out the, the conversation that they're having where Thelma's like i've never felt like more alive than i have now where mm -hmm. it's like it's taken them like where they've had to like commit crimes to feel like free in their own life mm -hmm. and they're like i feel free now and like i'm so awake um, and then I think we have to mention the end of the movie, which is, it's kind of pretty iconic car chase. Mm -hmm. On the Grand one Canyon. Of, yeah, one of the really coolest scenes is you see, Thelma and Louis throughout the whole movie, they have this really kind of striking green car. And there's that one point where it's just a green, you just see like a kind of aerial shot of the green car and like 20 cop cars just following it kind of into the Grand Canyon. I thought that was so cool. Mm -hmm. And especially there's one point where they almost go over the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Well, in the beginning, they almost go over the Grand Canyon. And then this huge helicopter comes up, and that's also a great shot as well. Uh, but yeah, yes, they end up, cool. yeah, they end up being cornered by the police, and they have uh, this passionate kiss, and they're like, our story's not over. Like, we're not finished here. Like, our journey, like, we're not stopping here. We've made it this far. And they take the car and go over the Grand Canyon. So that is literally the last shot of the movie of the car. Yeah. Is their car just plummeting like... into the Grand Canyon, which, how, how did you feel? Were you expecting that? I was not. I generally thought, like, the end of this movie, I was going to see them, like, just taken by the police. That's what it, it seemed like they were obviously building to um i liked it better like they're like you know what like we're not going to be trapped in in this like society like we're going to do our own thing um yeah i think it was it was like a little bittersweet you know it was definitely bittersweet because it's like damn like all this happened in the span of like three three days yeah um it's just like how quickly your life can change like that but it, like exactly. an ending like that it just makes the movie so iconic it like, does. It's, yeah, it's a very, Because you're just like, not expecting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I agree. And, do you have any last yeah. thoughts about this I movie? do have one last thought. They were thinking about doing a sequel for this movie where they're ghosts helping other women who have, like, been abused, which I think they turned down, but I was like, hmm, that's very interesting. I don't know if I would like that. I, I kind of like where it ended and kind of their journey route. Yeah. Um, I also, again, same with Stand By Me, the landscapes here, Great. amazing. I'm a big fan of, like, you know, a small person and a huge, like, showing the vastness of nature. 
Mm -hmm. um, there was also a really cool scene where they're driving at night and there's a bunch of like neon kind of signs and lights. I'm also a big fan of neon. So I was like, I'm like, this movie ticks, ticks the box. Ticks all the cinematic boxes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. All right. So the next movie we'll be talking about is The Untouchables, which came out in 2011. Um, and this is about a man named Driss and he's trying to, um, he just needs to fill out this card uh, to show that he's uh, been interviewing for jobs and gets... It's uh, unemployment. Oh, is that what yeah. it is for Yeah, I think it's like he, need, he needs proof that he had been it's... going for jobs but that he wasn't getting them. To get, mm -hmm. I think like it's like a benefit check. Um, yes. And, yeah. So, and then he basically interviews for uh, a job to be a, be a caretaker for Philip, who's um, a quadriplegic. Can't he can't feel anything from his neck down, um, and he kind of like gets the job. Yeah, which is such a funny scene because they have all these people coming in, um, applying for the job, and they all have these like great credentials, um, mm -hmm. and they've all had so much experience. And when they put it in a montage like that, they just all seem so cookie cutter. And then yeah. you have a uh, Juris come in, and he's just like. Uh, hitting on the woman there um, and being like, just sign this and say I was here um, yeah, he, he so knows. I can get out. Um, yeah. In addition, like, once once he, he leaves, you kind of realize, it said also in there that he was like, um, he was gone for six months and you're not really sure why. You figure out later in the movie that he was in, in jail for robbery and he had just gotten out. So I think that's why mm -hmm. he was kind of doing that. Um, and he, like, lives with all these, what you find out is, like, his aunt and all of her children, a lot of children, um, in this kind of a small apartment in Paris. And you kind of realize it's not, like, compared to, to where the other family that he was interviewing at is, it's not, um, obviously not, not very rich. Um, mm -hmm. And... Obviously, he comes from, like, a different background. All all the other interviewers were white. He's black. That's mm -hmm. obviously um, one thing. And in the sense, also, like, they all, they all, like, went to school. He's obviously not, like, educated and taking care of someone who is quadriplegic. But they decide to hire him anyway. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because really what Philip wants is just someone who isn't going to treat him like a, it's a job. Like, he just yeah. wants a friend, really, because he just kind of has the, he goes through the same lifestyle every day and he just wants yeah. someone to really talk to since he does feel judged by everyone else and he just doesn't want yeah. someone else coming in and um, judging his lifestyle really. Yeah, um, and this movie essentially tracks their friendship. The one thing I liked about this movie that there was no like blow up, you know? Mm -hmm. Like there was yeah, no which moment you're kind where of like- expecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, especially with, like, when you talk about, like, friendship movies, things like that, like, like, you kind of, you have, um, like, moments in Thelma and Louise, and their moments are in Stand By Me, but, like, they're all fighting with each other, mm -hmm. where this place, like, Driss and Philip, like, they never really fight and fight, fight, and, like, blow up at each other. Yeah, you know? they have, like, a lot of banter towards each other, but you can always tell that it's, like, very, very lighthearted, and they're, like, kind of enjoying it, you know? Yeah, and I think also Drist is, like, kind of pushing Philip out of his comfort zone in a mm -hmm. lot of that. Like, he's like, oh, like, um, the whole, there's a one, there's one part where Philip, he 
has been basically having this male correspondence with a woman. Um, his, he realized that his wife had passed away before and they had an, an adopted daughter. Um, but he had never really been with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of has this like letter correspondence and just was like, why don't you just call her? Like, don't you want to know what she looks like? Like, don't you want to know what she sounds like? He's like, no, like, I'm fine with my letters. Like, I'm fine with this. And just is like, no, your letters are so boring. <laughs> like, and, and they he, like, were, takes they the were phone, pretty boring. <laughs> takes the phone and calls her and just, like, pushes. Puts it to his ear. Puts it to his ear and, like, here, talk to her. Like, mm-hmm. I know you can't hang up the phone. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, Driss definitely pushes him to do, like, big things like that. But also the small things that no one else was doing for Philip, like, just going outside, like, everyone was just yeah. too afraid to take Philip outside, and he was like, I just hadn't been outside in so long. Um, oh, I also want to talk about the first scene, which I really like, um, yeah. because I feel like the thing about this movie is it switches tones very quickly, because at first, it's uh, Driss and Philip in the car after they had, um, th- their friendship has been established, really, and they're this just the going so- out of the movie. Right, and they're just going so fast in this car, and based on what I knew about this movie, I kind of thought, like, oh, like, he's gonna get into a car accident, which is going to cause uh, him to need to be in a wheelchair, uh, but it's just them, like, getting pulled over, and kind of making fun of the cops, being like, no, like, or they're, they have this plan, like, oh, to get out of getting a ticket, we're just gonna pretend we're taking you to the hospital, and they'll definitely believe it, uh, which they do, um, yeah. and it's just such a fast shift in tone and style, like, it just made me laugh, because then, we had this, like, really, um, I forget what song was playing during that scene, but, like, a really lighthearted, fun song. Yeah. Um, oh, I, yeah was I it remember, by, like, I, Wind, Fire, and Ice? Yeah, I think Earth, Wind, Earth. Fire, which is, like, they mention that, like, specifically in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also, like, based off of a true story, like, a, a, a real friendship between, mm-hmm. um, like, someone he had hired. Um, but... I also, like, like, they just also, like, they, they do a lot of scenes where they just put Driss, who's kind of very much, like, no bullshit, like, if he doesn't like something, he'll say it, um, mm-hmm. which you admire, and I think, like, Philip really admires, because I think so many people are, like, walking on eggshells, like, they're afraid to, like, kind of ap- approach him and to be, like, kind of talk to him and treat him like a person in some ways, and I think Driss really does do this, like, but there's a funny scene where they're at the opera, and Philip's like, this is what I like. And just is like, he literally looks like a tree. Like, they're singing in German. Like, why? I've, I've never been to an opera, so I can't even imagine, like, this is your first time. Like, I was shocked when I was watching it, too. I was like, what is this? Yeah. And <laughs> oh, I, I love the fact, um, too, that Philip was like, this is four hours long. Like, yeah. we're, we're going to be here, like, all night. And, like, everyone around them was saying, like, no, like, be quiet. And yeah. they just kept on laughing. Um, no, going off of that note of, like, uh, Driss just te- uh, treating Philip like a, a regular person, or a, uh, like, not making Dr- uh, Philip feel so different, uh, he was like, oh, I like, Philip was saying, I like how Driss always tries to, like, hand me stuff, like, hands me the phone, hands me something, and because he can't uh, pick anything up, and then Driss has to always be like, oh, right, and, like, put it up to his ear, which like, Philip just really likes about Driss, because it makes him feel, like, uh, more normal than everyone else around him would ever treat him. 
Yeah, and I think, like, that's the relationship that we really see. Like, it's really warm-hearted. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's never a point where, like, you know, Philip gets super angry at Driss and is like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you pushing me? Like, mm-hmm. he's always, like, pretty appreciative for what, and, like, realizes, like, what Driss is trying to do. Like, he's just trying to make him, like, live his life. And he's like, look, like, what you're doing now isn't going to, like, satisfy you. Mm-hmm. Um. I also, like, they have a moment where, like, he's invited to Philip's, like, birthday party, and there's a great, like, dancing, like, all the staff is dancing, like, the staff you kind of get to see throughout the movie, I thought that was, like, really fun, um, and then there's kind of, like, a, a subplot with one of just just like, siblings, they don't really, like, go into it that much, like, they talk about Driss, um, and his family, and the fact that, like, that's not his mom, that's his aunt, mm-hmm. and, um, like, those are her children. There's, like, kind of, like, a, a subplot where one of her children, like, a young boy, is getting into some sort of trouble, mm-hmm. and it kind of, it kind of, and, like, that's kind of the catalyst where, like, Philip is, like, like, you can't be taking care of me your whole life. Like, you need mm-hmm. to, like, go out there and really, like, like, get a job. Like, I like our friendship, but, that like, this isn't going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and that part was definitely really sad because uh, even though Philip thought like knew he was doing the right thing, um, he was so sad after that. And I yeah. at one point thought he was going to try committing suicide or something like that. Like that's where I thought it was going to head. Uh, luckily, it didn't. The whole movie is just very joyous on on yeah. it's like very lighthearted. And I love movies like this because especially during quarantine when like no one's doing anything this made me want to like go out and and do things not that i'm going to because i'm a i'm a good person who's quarantined. True. we're not really going out we're just watching we're not really going out but people who go out this movie made me want to like live life to the fullest you know yeah well because they go to there's that one point where like a little sad where like they uh philip goes to meet with um the Eleanor, who's the woman he's been, like, corresponding to, and eventually he, mm-hmm. like, starts talking with her on the phone, um, and I, either, like, she doesn't show up, or he kind of gets nervous and leaves. I forgot, um, which one, and so he's, like, you know what? Like, let's get on a plane, and let's <laughs> go somewhere. I mm-hmm. forgot where they go, and I know they don't go skydiving, but, like, they basically, like, um, they have, like, a parachute, and they go off a mountain, it and was, like, yeah, paragliding. sailing in the sky. And it's how he originally got hurt in the first place. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of like a full circle moment, like him being like, I can still do something I enjoyed, something mm-hmm. that like got me to where I am, but I can still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like, and then you all see like Driss doing it for the first time, like they're both having the time through life. Like that was really great. And that was, that was kind of shot cool. I don't know if they really did it. It kind of seemed like they did, like. When they were filming, I, it looked yeah. like they had GoPros and they were just like filming them. I think they probably did. I'm not 100 percent sure though. Yeah, but I that think was some, definitely check up on that later. Yes, I feel like it seemed like some was real and some maybe wasn't, but that was really cool. Um, I also love the part where uh, there's one scene where Philip and Driss are at a museum together, and Driss is like commenting on all the art, saying like. How is this so expensive? Like, that's literally just, like, a line. Anyone could do that. Uh, and it, that kind of leads Driss. Like, the cool thing about Driss and Philip's relationship is they take things from each other, like little, uh, like, hobbies, things like that. 
So Driss kind of um, starts painting and he shows everyone his painting that he's so proud of. And then Philip sells it to like one of his other like rich friends for a bunch of money, which I, that was yeah. such a funny scene. I think it was like $11,000. <laughs> Yeah, euros. Um, and like you can tell, oh, yeah. Philip is trying not to laugh because his friend is like, "Well, like, eleven thousand is like a little much for like an unknown artist." But you said he's mm-hmm. having a lot of shows, right? Well, he's <laughs> like, "Yeah, he's having a show in Berlin next month. Like, you should get it while it's hot." I was like, <laughs> "Oh, this is great." Yeah, that was definitely I think uh, one of my favorite scenes of the movie. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, I really like that too. Um, and I think overall, like, I, I really liked this movie. I guess it's like a feel-good movie. Like, nothing specifically, like, you know, terrible happens. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they you just see them kind of go from, like, strangers to, like, really good friends who, like, truly do care for each other. Um, and it's not, like, it no longer becomes, obviously, this, like, obligation between, like, employee and um, and the one who's, who's, like, the employer. Like, it truly mm-hmm. becomes, like, a really great friendship. Um, yeah. yeah, you know. So if like, you're if you need something uplifting to watch, I would definitely recommend yeah, this movie. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. So now on to a movie that um, is funny, but not as uplifting. I would say a little bit yeah. uplifting. It's a, a a combination. It's hard yes. to say. Which is Francis Ha from uh, 2012, directed by Noah Baumbach, uh, and also written by Greta Gerwig, and uh, Noah who we Bombach. love. Uh, if you know anything about us. We love Greta Gerwig, so. We do. Um, this was mm-hmm. a great vehicle for Greta Gerwig. Um, yeah. I thought, like, obviously she does, like, a really good job acting. And if she's the main character, she's Frances Ha. Um, and it basically mm-hmm. follows kind of her life. She's 27. And I think also, like, as someone who doesn't, like, I don't have, like, a career job. Like, I'm, I'm out of college. Um, I think I definitely, like, related to her a lot more. Like, she's 27. She doesn't really have this career. Like, she lives in New York City. She can't really afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just, like, trying to figure out what to do with her life while she's kind of also, like, going through, like, growing pains with her best friend. Right, because we start out and, while Sophie doesn't really, I mean, not Sophie, while Frances doesn't really know what she wants to do with her life, the one thing that's always been a solid is her friend Sophie, who she lives yeah. with, and, like, they love each other. Um, and just the mu- the montage they have when they're just spending to g- the day together is so uplifting. And you just know that, like, what they have is, it's real. And yeah. um, that, unfortunately, begins to unravel a little bit because, um, well, Frances believes she's, oh, her and Sophie are going to renew their place. Sophie says that she's going to move in with her boyfriend, uh, Pat. Um patchy i i think she calls him at one point um and that's when francis has to find somewhere else to live Um, yeah and basically it's the rest of the movie the movie mm kind of goes through each place that she's living so it'll like it'll have like a blank screen with like the apartment the um address of the apartment that she's currently living at Mm -hmm. um so it starts with the apartment she shares with sophie and then it goes to other places where she is. Um, I did, I like the beginning. The beginning is like this great montage, kind of like two girls against the world. Like, yeah, and it's cinema. very like um, French new wave cinema with just like the long still shots and it's black and white. Yeah. 
And just uh, the whole movie doesn't really have like, um, it's more character, it's definitely more character driven. So like, it doesn't have this easy to follow narrative. It's just like, this is their life. Like, this is what she's doing. Yeah. Um, and it really does feel that way, where it's it's like, it's somewhat, it feels like someone just put a camera down in front of this restaurant, and, like, we're just watching Francis's conversation. Yeah, and I think also that, like, has to do with both, like, Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig's writing. Like, they both have a really good job of just writing, like, language and conversations, just how it is. Oh, um, yeah. I was I actually, actually uh, no, uh, just <laughs> real quick. Um, I was watching an interview with Greta Gerwig, and she was just saying how, um, they would do so many takes to make things feel more natural because if you do just 10 takes, uh, it felt too labored. But once you do 30 takes, which is so much, everything feels like just so much lighter and so much more natural. Just like you're walking into the room and this is just the conversation that you start to have, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I think you can definitely see that. Um, And we start the movie with um, uh, Frances basically breaking up with her boyfriend because he asks to move in with her, and she's, mm-hmm. she's not move there, for her to move in with him, and she's like, no. And they have this whole conversation about he, like, wants to get two, like, hairless cats. Um, oh, yeah, that was kind of a sweet conversation, though, because she's like, why would you, well, first of all, she's like, I would pay you not to get a hairless cat, and then, yeah, I love that. <laughs> but he's like, but you can't just get one, because they need a friend. The cat needs a buddy. <laughs> yeah, which is like, friends. Which was cute. Yeah. Um, but you can kind of feel like she's not that into him. Mm-hmm. Like, like they kind of have this conversation where, like, they're not understanding each other. Like, yeah. he would be like, this isn't working. And then she'd be like, but you'd be single with cheap cats. And he'd be like, what do you mean I'd be single? And she's like, you just said this isn't working. Working. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he's like, let's move in. And she's like, and then it cuts to a different scene. Yeah. Um, and then... We kind of start to meet some of the other characters. We meet um, Lev and Benji, who are two guys that Francis ends up moving in with at one point. Um, and I, I love the way that they talk about them when they're not there. So they, they mm-hmm. she kind of, they kind of like have a party at their apartment and then Sophie and Francis go back to their apartment. And Sophie's like, oh, like Lev, like wants your number. And he texts her, and Francis is like, sure, give it to him. And then Lev texts her, um, like, ahoy, oh, ahoy, sexy. <laughs> which is the weirdest thing to text someone. Yeah. Um, and the <laughs> way they just talk about, like, their boyfriends and everything. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is accurate, and this is lovely. Because um, mm-hmm. they're, just, they're just talking about how it is. Um, and also, like, Lev is, is such a, a fuckboy. His attitude... Everything. Played by Adam Driver. In the beginning, he even has, like, the kind of fedora. He's, like, the fedora the really gave it away. Yeah. <laughs> For, no, you're right. The fedora did give it away. Yeah. yeah. 2012 um, of all years. The fedoras were never in. But everyone yeah. did. Um, he yeah. also and then Benji. Oh, yeah. Oh. Benji's the other friend who lives there. Um, and he and Francis have a lot more scenes together. And they both say that they're just both undateable. Yeah. Um, um, and the interesting thing about just sort of all the characters, um, especially Benji, is he's, a, like, they're all trying to keep sort of a, a facade to other people. So Benji is always telling his parents, that, like, oh, yeah, he's in the middle of writing for SNL, which has, like, never been true. Um, he lies all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just, like, 
he, and he obviously like kind of has this crush on Francis. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this this one point where um, when she when I think she comes back from from a night out and he's like, oh, listen to this song. She's like, oh, do you have any music? And he's like, yeah, listen to this song. And he keeps like putting these headphones on it. She keeps taking them off. And I'm like, why do you keep putting them back on? Mm-hmm. Like, she takes them off. She doesn't want to listen anymore. That yeah. was, like, a little awkward. Um, and it was during when she's living with Lev and Benji that she has this really, like, big fight with um, with Sophie. And essentially, like, you kind of see, um, like, Frances can be quite messy. Yeah. She, she gets, like, really mean to Sophie. Um, and it's essentially because uh, Frances, she's this dancer, she's an apprentice at um, a company, and she's not necessarily, like, where she wants to be. Like, she really wants to be, like, touring with the company, like, a part of that. She really loves to dance. And after one of her shows, um, she goes out to drink with Patch and Sophie. And there, Patch is like, oh, yeah, we can't, like, you know, we can't stay too long. We have to go to the Galapagos. We're meeting my parents there. And you kind of just see this, like, on Frances' face of, like, oh, like, Sophie didn't even tell me. Yeah. Like, she didn't even try to tell me that this is, like, becoming serious. Mm-hmm. Because in the beginning of the movie, the way Sophie talked about Patch is just kind of, like, yeah, like, maybe, like, I'm into him. Like, I'm, like, I'm seeing him now because it's nice, but not necessarily because, like, I, I love him. And at yeah. this point in the movie, she's, like, but I do love him. And so Frances is, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and at one point during that scene, she's like, don't treat me like a three-hour brunch. Oh, no. It's either in this scene or the last scene, but she's like, don't treat me like a three-hour lunch, friend. And I'm like, that's such a good line because it's so vague, but everyone knows what that means. Like, Yeah, you invite someone out for brunch, three hours, you never see them again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, so and, that was my, my favorite line of the whole movie. Uh, but yeah, yeah, in that scene, you could really see, like, um, Sophie is trying to kind of just become more of an adult, like, kind of grow into her own life. And yeah. uh, Frances is just trying, she wants the old times that her and Sophie had together. Um, and I think also... everyone moved out. Yeah, I think also, like, Sophie has this kind of, like, this life that maybe Frances wants, not necessarily, like, with the people she wants, but, like, Sophie has the job she, she, like, she wanted, mm-hmm. and she works hard for, she has, like, her serious boyfriend, like, Frances, like, she wants, she keeps dreaming of the life that she wants, but mm-hmm. she hasn't necessarily accepted that that's not what she's going to get. Yeah. Like, she hasn't accepted, and she hasn't tried to be, like, okay, like, what do I have to do in order to, to get a life that maybe I'm, I'll be happy with, not necessarily the one that I was, like, dreaming of for a long time. Right, um, and- uh, Greta Gerwig was talking about this in the interview I watched where she was just saying like in regards to Frances being like very happy until the end of the movie that all the reasons she was happy she could have gotten before and they were all available to her but she just wasn't ready to let go of um the reality she was sort of living in of yeah. wanting everyone everything to stay the same yeah and she definitely yeah she definitely like wanted especially with Sophie um and then also there's like she goes home to Sacramento for, like, a lovely montage of Christmas, um, and that was really nice, kind of, to see, like, her home life, and mm-hmm. um, when she leaves, she kind of starts crying, because I think also, like, she she has so much fun there, and she obviously loves her parents, but, like, she knows she has to go back to a life that she's not necessarily happy with, Yeah, and she has to go to a new apartment, like, she, 
she when she goes home she's staying with one of the dancers at the the company um mm-hmm. and they go to this really awkward dinner party <laughs> oh god you yeah, know the dinner party scene was like not francis's uh forte for sure she doesn't um, know anyone there mm-hmm. like and then also this dinner party is also where she she finds out that Sophie's moving to Japan. Yeah. And you can see, like, on her face where she's like, Sophie, like, all these people know, but I don't know, and I'm claiming to be, like, her best friend. And yeah, and everyone knows that, she, that hurting feeling, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, at the beginning of the dinner, she's like, oh, I'm trying to, like, not drink. And then, but when she hears that, she's like, you know what? Like, why? <laughs> like, screw that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also here where she gets, like, a little drunk, and she kind of has this, like, monologue of kind of what she wants in a romantic partner, where she talks mm-hmm. about how, like, you're at a party, and you're both busy, but you look at each other, and you, you're both shining, and you know that that person is yours, but you don't necessarily need to be, like, talking to them the whole time. Like, you can go do your own thing, yet, mm-hmm. like, you'll still be together. And um, when you make eye contact, you have this secret world with each other that no one else knows about. Yeah, which I think, obviously, like, Greta Gerwig is a great job for that, um, like, monologue. But, like, no one understands that. Like, all the party guests, they're just kind of, like, okay. Yeah, no one says anything about it. Like, even, like, oh, like, that was so beautiful, like, what you just said. Because it was, but they were all just like, okay, on to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, And this is where she meets someone who's, they're like, oh, we have an apartment in Paris. And she's like, (laughs) I'm going to Paris. Which is, like, if it like this is also where like I was watching this and I was like I wish I can just randomly go to like a, another kind of country and like have fun even though Francis doesn't necessarily have fun in Paris mm-hmm. um she's able to do that which I love like the scene so she when she coming back from the dinner she's decided she's going to Paris she starts talking to Benji um they meet up on the street and he obviously is like dating some girl um, and they're talking. She's like, yeah, I'm going to Paris. Like, I'm going to charge it on this credit card that I got on the mail. And the girl's like, that's what they're going to get you in debt. She's like, I know. I watch documentaries. And I was like, and you should know not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then after the trip, she's like, yeah, I should not have done that. I'm yeah. in debt now. And it's like, come on, Francis. Yeah. I love, like, her her days in Paris. And I, I think, like, they obviously really, and through the shots, they really did film in Paris. There were some really cool shots there. But she, like, tries to call her friend, and she misses her. Um, She sleeps through her, like, entire day. Oh, yeah. She's only there for two days. Mm -hmm. And then the the second day, she's leaving. So the Mm -hmm. first day, literally, she just, like, she's like, oh, like, I'm not, so I'll take, like, a pill. She wakes up at, like, 4.30. I was like, oh, girl. Mm -hmm. What you doing? Yeah, and then she goes back um, because she has a meeting with the woman from the dancing um, company that she's at, and that was also, like, a really heartbreaking scene because Frances was all like, oh, like, I came back from Paris for this meeting, and she's like, oh, really? Like, you should have just stayed. I was, like, about to cancel it this morning because I had a headache, Um, which really just, like, Frances values this woman's opinion so much, and uh, not that Frances is, like, an afterthought to her, but, like, obviously isn't um I don't know I guess just being a regular boss like not doesn't matter as much as it matters to Francis I think that the boss does care about Francis but I think also the meeting wasn't what Francis thought it was going to be Mm -hmm. um so the meeting is essentially she's like hey do you want to take over this office position for one of the women's like she's pregnant you know 
she needs to go on maternity leave, would I take it over in Francis's? Like, she doesn't quite understand why she's being asked this. And mm-hmm. it's essentially, like, the woman, the boss being like, you're not going to be a dancer in our company. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, like, maybe you will in some other company, but not in ours. Like, you can't be an apprentice, apprentice forever. Like, you should kind of move on to something else. Um, yeah. And obviously, like, Francis can't, like, she kind of has too much pride in herself. Like, she can't accept it. And she doesn't. She's like, oh, I don't want this job. Like, I want to be a dancer, and I will be a dancer. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that, that doesn't necessarily happen. But I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. But she does, uh, she is the choreo, like, so we get to the very end of the movie, and we do see, like, Frances is turned, um, she's moving forward. And yeah. she's the choreographer for an, another dance company now, I, yeah. I'm led to assume. Um, and we actually get to see her dance, which, uh, when Greta was talking about, like, the whole dance sequence, she was talking about how, um, the dance is sort of meant to reflect Frances's character and the journey she had been through, because it's, like, no one's really doing the exact same thing within the dance. We've got some people moving in different directions, and it involves, like, falling and then getting back up, which is such an essential part of Frances's character. Yeah, she um, does fall in this movie. Yeah. Quite a bit. Um, <laughs> and I think also, like, her point of change is when she reunites with Sophie. So she mm-hmm. kind of starts working. Um, she's, like, a waitress, and she's also working, I guess, at this, like, dance camp at the college that she went to. Oh, she's, like, right. an RA, I guess. Yeah. Um, and she, like, she's she's not allowed to take the dance lessons that she once was able to when she was, like, a camper there, which is, like, a little sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like a waitress at this, you know, event, and she hears two people fighting. She realizes it's Patch and Sophie, and Sophie's like very drunk. And she kind of reunites with Sophie when she realizes that like they're engaged. Mm-hmm. And they had been living in Japan this whole time. Um, and they kind of, Sophie and Francis kind of have this like little heart to heart where Sophie, like, well, I have first Sophie and Patch have a huge ass fight. Um, yeah before where Sophie's quite mean to Patch. Yeah. And you kind of actually like see Patch for the first time. Like like they're so they they basically like they're in the US for Patch's grandfather's funeral and they only went to here this like it was like an auction like charity event for the college because Sophie wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um and Sophie is just like why did you bet on such a cheap thing? Like like why are we even going to your grandfather's funeral? Like you didn't even like him. He had a second family in Germany. Like, why are we here? And Patch is just like, it's a funeral. Like, I'm going to go see my grandfather. And mm-hmm. she kind of, and my favorite part also is when she tries to get Francis to like side with her, where she's like, Francis, like, how were you when your grandfather died? Francis is like, I was actually really sad. Like, I really <laughs> miss my grandfather. She's like, well, that's different. I hated my grandfather. And I was like, <laughs> and Patch is just like, I'm not going to let you home, like drive drunk. Like, let me just take you home. And he, mm-hmm. he offers Francis a ride too. I was like, to her dorm that she was staying yeah and then sophie eventually comes and they kind of have this talk sophie mm-hmm. reveals that she had had a miscarriage in japan and that that kind of like made her realize that, like she doesn't want to be there like she misses mm-hmm. having her job and having this life and she misses like francis mm-hmm. and that she wants to um not be engaged to pat anymore yeah mm-hmm. um but in the end they, they're actually married at the end um, mm-hmm. so at the end of the film, you realize, like, some time has passed, you see Frances's, like, choreograph, she's also working at the dance company, she took the office position, 
Um, and she seems much happier. Like, like in the beginning of middle of the movie, she's like, oh, I didn't really like doing choreography, but you can tell here that she's like, she really like, does like it. She's mm-hmm. really proud of the work that she's put out. Yeah, and she's I really also good like, at it. She's good at it. And then I like also, they go to shots in the audience of all the different people that we've met. Um, and then, of course, because this is a friendship movie, um, at the end, there's like a little you know, reception and you see Sophie and, and Francis look, at, look back at each other. Making kind of in the same contact. way that Francis yeah. said that's what she wanted. Yeah. And I was like, that's love. Yeah, in a way, it kind of reminded me of um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and the way that ended. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 would, I would say that. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same, because they don't actually stare at each other. They yeah, no, they don't eyes. stare at each other, but, like, imagine the if they did stare at each other. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it ends with Francis finally, like, getting her own apartment and... Um, you know, it's, she has her home now, which I thought was yeah. nice. And she can't fit her whole, uh, last name on the little, uh, thing, on the little door front, so that's why it just says Francis Ha. And roll credits. Roll credits. A really a good, uh, one of the best movie titles, because when I heard of this movie, I was always like, yeah, why is it Francis Ha? Is it because, like, they laugh a lot in this movie, but <laughs> it was, I, I don't know, which um, they do laugh a lot. But. Yeah, and I did, I did like the aesthetic. I was like, I think when I first heard of this, I was like, why is it in black and white? I was like, mm-hmm. I don't, and like, it didn't, I don't think it, I think it definitely, like, it helped kind of minimalize the look of the movie, where you're much more focused on the characters instead of the backgrounds and what's going on. Yeah. Um, I did also really like, there's like this fun scene where Frances gets her, like, tax rebate check, um, and she goes to the bank, um, and there's also, like, when she gets to the apartment, she's, like, running and dancing through the street. Mm-hmm. I love this thing, because you can see, like, how happy she is to, like, have a place. Yeah. This is when she's uh, living with Lev and Benji, when she, mm-hmm. like, is able to live there. Um, she does run a lot in this movie. Yeah, uh, a lot of good um, music, too, that she's dancing yeah. to. Like, at one point, she's running um, to the song Modern Love, and just such a good scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, overall, um, good job. It's definitely, like, better than I think... It, it looks, I guess. If that yeah, makes any sense. I think, like, I think no, when I, I saw it, I was like, this could be a pretentious movie. Like, it's black and white. Like, the title doesn't quite make sense. Like, I don't understand it. Then mm-hmm. I watched it, and I was like, okay, like, no, like, it's actually very low-key, which is not... Yeah. I think, yeah. I don't know why I have this expectation that, like, black and white films are, like, especially, like, ones that are, like, modern-day black and white films mm-hmm. have this kind of, like, superiority complex to their <laughs> to their, their yeah. beliefs mm-hmm. um but i did yeah. really like it and i love greta gerwig so like, you yeah, know i too, i would definitely it. recommend this movie to anyone i just thought it was so good and it like it leaves you very happy like happy for the journey she took but like very sad in a lot of moments as well yeah i agree um and then our most recent film that we did was girls trip uh, I think from 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually originally watched this movie on New Year's, like going into 2018. No way. So, honestly, mm-hmm. great movie to go into the new year with. Yeah, no, I really like this movie. Um, and this did really well at the box office too. Like that yeah. year, I forget what other movies came out, but I remember like this was the summer comedy. Like everyone was going to see this movie. Yeah. Um, and this is it the was, first time. It's really funny. 
yeah, this was the first time I watched it, and I didn't really know what to expect going in, but there are so many scenes where it's just, like, a lot of well-crafted jokes, and where comedy often fails is characters that you care about, but, like, all these characters have, like, pretty developed backstories, and you yeah. really do care about their relationships, which ends up making the jokes funnier than they would be in, let's say, another comedy, because this really is, um, uh, it's a comedy that's been done in different variations before of, like, the girls getting back together and having a good time on yeah. a vacation. Um, um, I think but that I, also, mm-hmm. like, the jokes land pretty well, like, even, like, four, four years later since this movie has come out, or almost four years since the movie, like, the jokes are still funny because it doesn't rely on, like, a specific time period. I have that same thing written down just because, like, so much of it was physical comedy too. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree. I still holds up really well uh, four years later. Um, definitely breakout role was Tiffany Haddish. We have Agreed. Uh, the four uh, main characters who are, um, they're all friends from college. And we've got Regina played by, um, oh no, no, it's, I mixed it up. So yeah, Ryan Pierce played by Regina Hall. And she is this very famous now, um, like, kind of giving advice to other people. And um, her and her husband write books together. Uh, but her husband was cheating on her, so they're trying to keep up this facade of, like, being together uh, in the public eye while, like, really not having a great marriage at all, which, like, their jobs kind of uh, rely on. Yeah, um, they have they rely on this image that, like, like, her book is, like, a woman can have it all. Like, she can have this really successful career. And, like, you can see, like, Ryan's career. Like, she does a lot. Like, she mm-hmm. goes on cooking shows. She writes books. She writes articles. She has TV appearances. And it's kind of this facade of, like, oh, like, you can do all of this and have a great husband. When mm-hmm. in reality, like, her husband's constantly cheating on her. Right. Um, yeah. And then our next character would be Sasha, played by Queen Latifah. Uh, and her character runs a gossip blog, and she's got this huge, like, very beautiful apartment. But we learn uh, towards the beginning that she's also uh, in debt. So she's always looking for that next scoop of, like, what she's yeah. going to post on her um, pretty popular blog still. But it's, she's not at the same level that Ryan is. Um, and there is some a lot of tension between those two yeah. because they had a falling out at one point because they were supposed to work together before Ryan became super famous. Um, I think also, um, like, Sasha used to be, I think, like, a very much respected journalist. Mm-hmm. So, like, she was in, like, on her website, when they first show her, kind of, like, what she's up to now, like, it says she was in Time Magazine, she was, you know, New Yorker, Vogue, um, mm-hmm. all these, like, really great publications, and now she's just kind of running across a, a gossip website, like, her own website, so it's kind of like, okay, like, what got her here? When obviously yeah. she was at one point very successful in her own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. then we have um, we have Lisa, who is played by Jada Pinkett Smith. And she's a divorced mom of two. She's a nurse. She was like a partier in college, but now she's very like uptight, like rule follower. She's the mother strict. of the group. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and we she have was Gina. my favorite character. I know. I kind of, I have to say, I'm kind of a Lisa. Um, (laughs) And then we have Dina, who's Tiffany Haddish. And she's kind of like this risk taker we see in the beginning of the movie. She's, she's fired from her job because her coworker um, ate her lunch. 
and she was like full on like like they like she she has like physically assaults him but obviously it's like played for laughs and I think like if this was in someone else's hands you'd kind of be like oh like it's not that funny mm-hmm. physically assaulting someone but because it's Tiffany Haddish and she obviously like knows when to play it right like yeah. it's actually quite funny um mm-hmm. and so that's what she's coming from and she's quite like also like no bullshit like she'll tell you like what she's thinking at any point in time mm-hmm. um which I love and I think like that that dynamic needs someone like her when like Ryan doesn't tell the truth and Sauce is trying to hide something and Lisa's like very uptight like it needs someone who's like all out like let's just go yeah she's the wild card of the group and every yeah. group needs a wild card and she just plays it so well True, I agree. And essentially, they're all reunited for Essence Festival in New Orleans. Um, and it was Ryan's idea. She's like, oh, we'll have, like, a girls' trip. Their, their group is called the Flossy Posse. Um, and she's like, well, we'll get us back together. Um, and essentially, like, it's them, like, getting kicked out of their hotel and going back to their hotel and um, kind of, like, going at the festival and going out and... Um, Kind of figuring out like what to, what to do about Ryan and Stuart, who's her husband, um, and like I I really enjoy this movie. Um, one of the first time, I think one of the, my I think my favorite gags of the whole movie is like when Lisa pees <laughs> at the zipline. So they're they're at like Bourbon Street in New Orleans, you know, like Party Central, and they're like you know like let's go crazy, like we'll zipline from one kind of building to another. Lisa's like, I have to pee. Like, I shouldn't do this. And they're like, oh, the line's, like, shorter on the other side. So, like, I'll be fine. And she gets stuck in the middle. And she's like, no, like, I can't. I can't hold it. It's still so funny. And then Dina comes and is like, okay, I'll I'll save you. And then just, like, like you can tell it's, like, a hose of water. <laughs> yeah. But, like, she's like, you know, like, I'm going to pee on everyone. Yeah, it's like almost it's like the same way uh, Quentin Tarantino deals with blood and, like, Kill Bill, where it's like, this is just so much and so extra what is going on here. Yeah. Uh, and you have all the people in the crowd who are just, like, screaming and running around trying to get away. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. I think um, my favorite gag is when um, they're in the club together and um, Ryan's having this really serious conversation with this woman who's... Um, she's going to sign a contract with and get some TV deal or something to that nature. And they're just all tripping at the club. Because, yeah. Um, and the whole group is trying, being like, oh, we need to get Ryan away from that lady. Um, we need an operation. And they're having this whole conversation about how to, like, get Ryan a- away from that woman. And it turns out the whole time they were just talking right in front of the table and it had been like a switch of the camera and ryan's like what are you guys doing like what are you talking about um and then you've got characters who are like trying to make love to lamps like i think that was sasha who was doing that um i just thought that scene was so funny and it was just like so um i don't even know the word for like being in a lava lamp honestly yeah and then Mm -hmm. obviously like we have to talk about the grapefruit scene Oh, this is yes. kind of like, like the big kind of pull, um, where D, where Lisa, who obviously has been divorced, like she hasn't been with anyone in a couple years, kind of meets this guy, and she's like, oh, like I don't really know like what to do anymore, like, like I don't know what like these new women are into, and Dina's like, just grapefruit him, and she proceeds to take a grapefruit and a banana, 
And to kind of demonstrate like what to do to a man's penis um, to like, to, to, to satisfy him. Um, and another, another way like Tiffany Haddish kills it, like this could have been terrible in, I think a different actresses. Um, it could have been, yeah, it could have been terrible if a different actress did this, but like she really goes for it. And it's pretty funny. And, yeah, and even, even on the rewatch, I'm like, yeah, this is gross. Um, and it ends up being funny. Like, Lisa yeah. tries it, and the guy's, like, like, it, like, gets in his eye, and it starts burning him. They have to, like, call him, like, go to the hospital. Yeah, because grapefruits are, like, acidic, so it, like, got, it was just stinging him all over. Yeah. And Lisa was, like, freaking out, because, like, she's definitely the one who's not used to, like, a crazy situation. Yeah. Like, she's the one, like, even when they're going out, she doesn't want to dress, like, Oh, that was um, so funny. Put in anything, put on anything crazy. So she's got this like very conservative outfit, and they're all like, "No, you're not going out like that." And it's and they gave her a razor, and it's like you've got to shave down there because like this is gonna be your night. Like we we know you. Yeah, we know we know you haven't shaved. Um, yeah. Um, and then they so at like the Essence Festival um, is when they kind of come face to face with Stewart's or Ryan's husbands like mistress and she says that she's she's pregnant mm-hmm. and throughout this whole time like Sasha had been given a source that Stuart had cheated and in the beginning Ryan was like oh I know about this we're in couples counseling and then Sasha was like no like this was taken like last week mm-hmm. and you kind of see this on Ryan's face of like oh but like I have to I have to you know maintain this image because I don't have a brand and I don't have a life without him and I think also like like everyone gets really frustrated with that but they're like why are you still with this man like he doesn't mm-hmm. respect you like yeah. and, sh- and like they're they're like you could do this without him like you don't need him to do this and then this when you figure out like Sasha was kind of like we were supposed to start something together and then you abandoned me because you realized you would make more money with your mm-hmm. husband instead of me and I was like, yeah, I can see why, like, Sasha resents Ryan a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we get to um, the very end of the movie, and Ryan's supposed to give this be- big speech, and the other girls all show up and kind of just confront her into, um, not really confront, that's like a strong word, but they're all there to support her, and Ryan on her own terms decides to tell everyone the truth about her relationship and that it's not as perfect as it seems. Um, which yeah. was like really hard for Ryan because she thought she was going to lose everything. Uh, and she does end up feeling better personally, but she's like, well, I guess that's sort of the end of my career, uh, which it isn't. It ends up working out for her because um, uh, the woman she works with comes in and is like, well, turns out that like people want to listen to single women anyway. Um, like that's the new, um, the new market, I guess she was saying. Yeah. And she ends up going, like, back into business with Sasha, kind of, like, mending their relationship. Yeah, no, that was so sweet. It's, like, yeah. uh, a very... This movie has a lot of raunchy jokes, but, like, a very, very sweet message and lots of, like, really strong relationships, which I really admire. Yeah, I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you can tell that they all, like, very much love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and I, I wrote this because I thought it was kind of funny. Um, that this movie is kind of like Ryan's book. It shows that women can indeed have it all. 
That's so good. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of myself for that one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, any last notes for a girl trip? Last notes for Girls Trip is if you need a good comedy to watch, this has definitely been one of the best comedies that's come out in a few years, so I would yeah. definitely recommend it. I agree. And I guess, like, final question. If you had to be friends with, with one of the groups in this Ooh. movie, who would hmm. you pick? I think me and Francis would get along. Um, I think Francis would have to be my answer. Um, or I think me and Lisa would get along, too, honestly. Yeah, I think, like, honestly, like, I would, I don't know if I would get along with the Flossy Posse. I think they would be great friends to have, though. Mm-hmm. Like, they clearly got my back them or, like, Thelma and Louise. Oh, yeah. Like, if I, if I can just, just be with Thelma and Louise, you know, in the car as they're going away, love it. Um, yeah, I don't want to get roped into, like, a robbing convenience stores. That's true. Uh, that's true. But yeah, no, they, they also seem like great characters. Um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so yes, that is the end of our episode. So uh, thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Right. Bye. Bye.